Happy Friday, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernell-Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Catherine Bishop, president of the OEA. Fried Okra is a weekly podcast where we get together to talk about public education issues in Oklahoma. We hope you join us every Friday. Well, this week, um, we have a, a... And a very interesting interview. I was not able to be there with Catherine. You visited with Dr. Donna Tayungu of uh, OU Health. How did that interview go? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Dr. Tayungu is um, up to date on all things COVID. Yes. And um, so interesting facts. Of, um, one that I thought was in particular was that how the symptoms – for vaccinated and unvaccinated people with this new Delta vi- variant uh-huh. are different. So you're going to want to listen oh, to that. Well, let's, yeah, I was very sad that I could not be there because she yeah. is just so neat. So let's take a listen. Hi, everyone. It's Catherine Bishop, OEA president. I'm here today with Dr. Donna Tayangu, pediatric infectious disease specialist at OU Health Science Center. Welcome, Dr. Tayangu. Thank you. Hi. Well, we are glad to have you. And it's just it's just Catherine and Dr. Tyangu today. Um, Carrie uh, Jacobs, uh, our your host of the main host of the podcast, had a scheduling conflict. So um, Dr. Tyangu, it is such a privilege to have you back on our podcast. I know you've been uh, on with us before and uh, highly listened to podcasts because um, we have this is such a evolving. Uh, issue, this global pandemic that we are in that we had hoped to be kind of tampering down, but uh, it looks like it is not. So I just wanted our audience uh, again today, just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you, you're, you're an Oklahoman, right here from Stillwater, Oklahoma. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I was born in Stillwater Medical Center. I went to high school, you know, grew up in Stillwater. Um, I went to high school there. I did do summer schools at OSU and I went to college um, at Indiana University. I did uh, medical school in Michigan at Michigan State University. Um, I came back for residency in, in Tulsa. And I did an internal medicine pediatrics re- residency. And then I did my um pediatric infectious diseases training in New York City and in Houston. And then in 2017, I came back to work at home for OU, even though I like to say go Pokes, but still. <laughs> I'm right there with you. I, here we go. So nobody can see, nobody can see my little pistols firing um, on the podcast, but uh, they're there. I'm right there with you, Dr. Tyangu. So let's talk a little bit about um, just, I have like a bazillion and one questions for you. And I know our listeners do too. So when we look at uh, the community of infectious disease specialists, epidemiologists, all those big words that I really don't know, um, did, did we foresee a global pandemic coming our way? You know, it's such an interesting question because all throughout my training, actually, we did discuss like, when is our next one, you know, 1918. So I was still in training. Uh, Oh, no, no, I had just finished for a whole year. But from the from the years of 2014 through 2017, the big question was, you know, 1918 was our Spanish influenza. We are about 100 years from there. Where is our next pandemic? And we've had little, um, 
blips of what looked like might have been pandemic things like um, the 2009 um, influenza pandemic that we had. We got that under control really fast. Uh, but I don't think any one of us expected a coronavirus to be that. And I think a few of us are still a little nervous that there could potentially still be another influenza pandemic behind this. Um, God forbid. But <laughs> um, I think the coronavirus uh, was the surprising part. Wow. That, that, yeah, you're expecting like not the coronavirus, something maybe bigger than that or, we or influenza. Really influenza. I think influenza yeah. is just ripe and ready to change genetics. And it goes, we know it goes through pigs and birds and things like that. Oh. And most coronaviruses we've always thought were um, droplet spread, not this airborne type of spread that we have now. So, and, and so, so through this time, it sounds like it's just, be, it is the, it is so much more contagious than what was even expected, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay. And well, it has even good. become more contagious like yeah. as this pandemic has gone on. Yes. yes. So the buses are rolling, the kids are coming back to school. So let's talk about a little bit about the variant that we have right now that is surging. Uh, we have over 600,000 students returning to classrooms without the prevention layer of being vaccinated. Um, these are not the ingredients we need to have a successful start to our school year. I don't know, maybe it is, but th this is really our educators. Um, one told me the other day, she said, you know, last year it was the fear of the unknown. This year is the fear of what we know. So talk to us a little bit about the variant that's happening right now and your biggest concerns for that. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't realize it was 600,000 students going back. Uh, I mean, you could put that in stark contrast to how many Americans we've lost to this pandemic, right? Because we've lost right. over 650,000 people to COVID-19. Um, the way I've, I've been trying to describe this to people now is like we need a completely new mindset about COVID. You know, we call it COVID-19, but what came out of China in 2019 and, and took us all through 2020 is completely different than what we're dealing with now. Like the genetics of this new variant have changed to, to a place where it's 200 times more infectious. It, as each person who has the virus is, can transmit it much, much, much easier than they could in 2020. And so the other added thing is that we know that children in 2020 were generally protected because of the type of receptors that they don't have enough of these things called ACE2 receptors in their nasal lining. And so that we think that that's like the receptor needed to kind of um, take the coronavirus into the body. And so the virus has changed in such a way that now it overcomes that receptor protection that children had. And that's why we think um, children are much more able to get this variant um, yeah. as opposed to before. Yeah, I even saw the other day where they're, they're now calling it different. Like it, that was the last year was the Wuhan virus. And now we're talking about the Delta. So they're, they're actually trying to, to disaggregate the two different viruses, which I'm glad you said that. So it's a, it's, we need to look, we need to have a reset and look at it at a different way. 
Um, and it's kind of a blessing though, because we have all of the expertise, you know, with what we call it the wild type, right? The original strain that first came out, we have all that expertise and we know we got a chance to learn so much about how to protect ourselves before this strain even came around, you know? So that's why it's a little frustrating for us if we're going to, we know what to do and then we're not going to do that. <laughs> Doesn't make a lot of sense. That, that, that is so, that is frustrating. Um, that could lead me in all kinds of different directions, but I'll try to stay focused on, on the, the topic. If um, we had talked earlier, what with the new, with the new variant and knowing that it's affecting our kids at such a higher rate, what is something that uh, symptoms that a parent needs to be looking for, that they need to not overlook and think, oh, this is just, I've got allergies or whatever. Yeah, and so that's a great point. So with the Delta variant, symptoms have changed. Let me just pull this back up. So, and, and, and symptoms are different if you're vaccinated versus unvaccinated. Oh my goodness, okay. I didn't know that. So if you're unvaccinated, more people actually have headache, um, sore throat, runny nose, fever, and a persistent cough, as well as that loss of taste or smell and in that order. So someone may come who's an unvaccinated teacher, for instance, and they just have this terrible headache and they think, oh, this can't be COVID, but that's not true because if you're unvaccinated, headache is that number one symptom that actually presents now. Um, and then if you've had two doses of your vaccine or the Johnson & Johnson single dose, the most common sign of infection would be runny nose. And then under that would be headache and then sneezing which sneezing was completely oh. not a part of it last year. Yeah, um, you, just, you just thought you had allergies last year. Exactly, yeah. and then sore throat. Um, and so it's changed. So loss of taste and smell used to be for us as physicians, like a, a nice trigger word, mm -hmm. but we may have people coming in just with allergy symptoms who are actually COVID-19 positive. Um, and so that makes it much more complicated. It, did I hear that um, you become symptomatic much faster that 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 exposure period is quicker with the new variant than it was with the previous yes virus and so we think that's because there's just so much more virus around uh, so yeah, the body yeah. responds faster than it did before yeah so uh that leads me to so you think you think okay i got a headache i've got this i've got this what sh when should you be tested and, and what is the best test to take? So if anyone is suspicious that they have COVID-19 or they feel sick or anything like that, they should go get tested right away. And even if that very first test is negative, two or three days later, they can get, a, get tested again to make sure that it's like really negative. Um, the, the best test obviously is PCR. Mm -hmm. um, there's two different tests you could do. You can do antigen testing and you can do PCR testing. Um, and so antigen testing is, is fine. It has a good sensitivity and specificity, but the problem is if it's negative, then you want to just make sure you confirm it with a PCR test. Oh, okay. If it's positive, you can believe it. Like it's, that's, that's it, a true yeah. test. Yeah. Does the, does the, so the antigen, that's the rapid test, right? Mm -hmm. I want to make sure I've got, there's all yes. this yes. So the rapid test, um, which is quick, it's fast, it's easy. PCR, they just have plucked a piece of your brain out of your head. Um, that is, but, but so if it's, 
negative, then follow it up with the PCR test. But if it's positive, you can guarantee it's, you're, you don't have that many false positives on the, right. on the rapid test. Did they ever come up? I know they were talking about a saliva test, all that other. Yeah, those of- are options. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Whatever the lab has to be prepared to use a saliva sample with their testing that they have. So it's okay. kind of on the other side, it's lab dependent. If the lab is able to, to take that sample. Uh, do you feel like our state has capacity now where you can, you know, at the beginning, it was like, I can't find a test. I can't get into a test. It's going to take me seven days to get the results. Um, are, are they, do we have capacity now where you can just go get a test and quickly get your results back? Oh, sure. Yeah. We're in a completely different place than we were at the beginning of the, I mean, remember last year, we didn't even have masks for healthcare <laughs> providers. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think, I think the message to get out to people was if you think that you could have been exposed and that you're sick, that you absolutely should go get a test because you should try to not have yourself in a congregate setting like school if you're actually right. COVID positive. Right. And so, um, or if you think it just quarantine and stay away, <laughs> that all those things, all those layers of protection that we, that we had implemented to help mitigate this, any of those that we can go, ah, we don't need those anymore. No, I personally think that all of those layers of protection was why, first of all, schools did so great last year. I mean, I agree. In addition yeah. to the fact that students, you know, were less likely to get ill with COVID-19 and things like that. And they, they probably got infected less. Um, but yeah, all of those mitigation factors that everybody worked so hard to come up with and do, you know, figure right. out should absolutely be implemented today. Right. For sure. Yeah. Universal masking is, you know, top notch what has to be done and uh, social distancing, the testing, the tracing, all that. Who would have thought that districts were going to become testers and contact tracers? Um, uh, we know more about public health now than we ever thought we would ever know. So, but, um, so let's talk. Ooh, my, it's my, kind my, of neat, though, if you think about it. Yeah, Everyone living <laughs> on the planet today yeah. is essentially a COVID-19 expert, right? Right. Because if they're alive 80 years from now, right, that's our goal, living through a pandemic, we need to survive, right? Right. So if you're alive 80 years from now, your grandchildren and all the people around will want to know everything we have to know about what we lived through during this pandemic, you know? It's kind of of neat when you think about it that way, because, oh my gosh, I would love to sit down and interview someone who survived 1918, you know? Right, right. And they wore masks back then. They sure did, but... but it was very, I mean, it's, it's very interesting. If you sit down and go through the history of 1918 and compare it to ours, all the arguments were there. There were anti-masking groups. There were political Mm -hmm. like situations against public health messaging and all of the things. It's it's so crazy how history repeats itself. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I fascinating. I did not know that. (laughs) Yeah. Let's shift. There was even a Fauci. There was a, there was like, there was a Fauci who was in, um, the newspapers, you know, you can see it in black and white newspapers that, that like people were making fun of him because he was advising people to wear masks at the time, you know? So, so your, your specialty is infectious disease. 
-hmm. are how how does your field um, collaborate work with the pediatricians and the general practitioners so that you know in education we always like to say we like to have common language we want to have a common message tell us a little bit how you guys are working together to make sure that we're taking care of our kids right now yeah so i mean as i was mentioning earlier there's only two of us in the state and so both me and my partner um, we take calls from all across the state for any infectious diseases concerns or needs and we see patients here um, we also collaborate with like the um, PD oklahoma pediatrician group the oklahoma um, association of pediatrics and so we help with the messaging that comes comes through there um, you know obviously we meet every single week with our pediatric colleagues here for you know grand rounds and different things and right. and so yeah i mean right, right. Um, we try to be on the same page with everyone. And I think, I think the vast majority of pediatricians, not even in Oklahoma, I mean, not, not even nationally, like worldwide, the vast majority of pediatricians has prob pretty much the same message with regard to COVID-19 and children. Right. And, and knowing that it's, you know, I heard, I think it was Dr. Chancellor, he said, you know, the, a variant is created because it's looking for a host. It wants to live. So it's going to like change its raincoat and it's going to just change its coat and it's going to, but it's, we're, we're looking, it's looking for a way to live. So if we can keep it from looking for a way to live, what is the number one thing we can do to stop this? Yeah, sure. Vaccination. Yeah. Vaccination is the number one thing to do yeah. to stop it. But I mean, we all learn in biology, right? Survival of the fittest. And so mm -hmm. that is what these variants are They're They are, um, the only opportunity they have to even mutate is another host to infect. And what's what's a little concerning is with this Delta variant, and there are more variants that we've already identified behind Delta. I'm sure people, oh dear. maybe they don't know, but anyway, people should know. And our biggest concern as infectious diseases and epidemiologists is um, the variant that will escape the immunity that we have found through vaccination. Oh my goodness. So, so nobody likes yeah. shots. It's not like we like shots. <laughs> right. I don't like getting shots either. Oh. Um, but it's so important to stop the spread of this virus. So if we could get more, let's just say today's August the 11th, if we could get more people vaccinated, there is a way to at least bring this down. There is hope. That we can give to say but it's at least going to help stop any hopefully creating future variants yeah absolutely we, we even have data we have data from israel and we have data from the uk they had very high levels of vaccination in their communities and even though they started having outbreaks again the link between infection and hospitalization was broken which right. means the link between right. infection and death is also broken and right. so we don't have those levels yet in our in our state or in our country. And right. so when people are getting sick, especially if they are unvaccinated, they still have the same risk of of winding up in the hospital. Actually, they have greater risk of winding up in the hospital than they had even with the original original strain. So let's um, let's debunk some myths that are out there. All right. Let's okay. Do it. Um, <laughs> um, 
this is a common one that I hear often, especially try now that 12, 12 up to 12 and above can be vaccinated, that it's going to um, it's going to sterilize my my children. Yeah, so so no. Um, we don't have any evidence that there's going to be any uh, fertility issues whatsoever. Honestly, we've had women who've been vaccinated who've delivered their babies, and a potential benefit is that those babies are born with immunity to COVID-19. Because oh, every baby born has whatever immunity their mother has at least until 18 months of age. Oh. Yes. And then if the baby breastfeeds, they'll get even more, like they'll continue to get immunity um, through, through breast, breast milk. Yeah. Um, the truth about fertility, sorry, I have my whole myth busting folder yeah, here. Yeah, good. So the good. truth about fertility is that um, there is much higher risk of problems with fertility if you get infected with the virus. So hold on, let me find it here. So the true risk, um, if you're pregnant and you get COVID-19, you are at much greater risk of getting sicker and requiring um, hospital care. The saddest case, and I don't even know if I can talk about it without getting sad, hold on, I'll tell you. Uh, and this was, this was not even Delta variant, this was before when we had a pregnant mother who got so sick that they called me to ask how to safely get the imprint of the baby's feet because the mother was dying and the baby also died but they wanted to get what we do in these situations is imprint the feet for the for the oh. basically the father and the other yeah. children that survived yeah. um and and you know even now when i see pregnant women i just you know my hope is they're like vaccinated but when I see pregnant women even in Target just walking around with right. their faces open I'm just like gosh what do I do how do I tell them to right. just protect themselves because unfortunately when you're pregnant you are considered immunocompromised because your body right. is doing so many functions at the same time trying to grow mm -hmm. another human being right and it's so sucking the life out of you there <laughs> yeah you just you're, you're at um greater risk for infection. Uh, so. so if you are pregnant, it's safe to be vaccinated. It's, yes. it's great. That is great news. And, and also there's increased risk of preterm labor if someone's pregnant. Now, what men don't understand is that when they have COVID-19 disease, that can actually impact their testicular function. It can impact their sperm production um, and it can impact the male fertility. Okay. So okay. not the vaccine, actually letting yourself be unvaccinated and go through disease. It can have, um, and also impact, um, male hormones. So, so there so. is by having, by having the virus and, you know, contracting it is probably you're at much greater risk long-term than getting the vaccine for it is what I'm hearing you say. Is, yes, is yes. Safer. Um, I should say the American College of Gynecologists convened a national expert group um, and they concluded that vaccines should be offered and are safe for people who are thinking about becoming pregnant, wanting to become pregnant, who are pregnant or who are breastfeeding. Okay, um, Those are, that's all great information to know because we have lots of educators that are, that are 
childbearing and and we want to make sure that they are safe as well coming back to school being in person um so have we have we have we uh I, have we found any chips um <laughs> microchips anything like that what what is the biggest what is the biggest um theory that you that you yourself have to debunk as a as a physician um you know all of them <laughs> i guess for my adolescent for my adolescent um children that come to the the, the biggest problem they have is they want to know that they're really not going to be magnetized because uh, i think that was like a big tiktok thing yeah. that was out there yeah and what what people were doing was like taking small, small little metal things and like oh. sticking it to them and say, look, I'm magnetic, right? Oh. But what people don't understand is that we all have like a layer of sebum. It's just like, um, um, you know, our sweat. That's yeah, I was going to call it sweat, but <laughs> sweat. If you have a little tiny bit of sweat on your body, any little metal thing will stick to you, whether or not you're vaccinated. So no, it's not, no. <laughs> it's not. So, so, um, and, and yeah, there's no, there's no magnetic component. So, and in, in regards to the microchip, I actually did the research to find out how small microchips are. Okay. And so there are actually super, super tiny microchips but they are not small enough to fit through the needle that we use for COVID-19 vaccines. Well, that is good to know <laughs> that because that would even hurt worse. That actually my, my vaccine, when I, uh, the, um, it was actually a pharmacist that gave it to me. It was like amazing. I just felt them put the bandaid on my arm. I was like, really? That's it. Okay. I might come back for more, but um, that's what I always tell people. You you won't even feel it. What you feel is the next day. Yeah. <laughs> like your arm is heavy. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and you it, might get the other symptoms, but yeah. I kind of felt bad because I didn't have a lot of the side effects from it. And I was like, okay, I, I feel I just sat there all day going, Am I gonna feel bad? Nope. Okay. Okay. Oh nope. I'm good. Okay. <laughs> I can I can can I can carry on what, what I want to do. Well, that's but, wonderful that you didn't have a lot I of know. side effects. Yeah. I, that's I great. kind of, I felt bad. I felt bad because I was like, because I was, other people had had some really tough time that next day. And so I, yeah, yeah. but I was, I was pleasantly pleased that I didn't have to, if, if we're, if, so you're a parent and um, you, even though your, your child is two, but you have nephews and how, what would you do to suggest how parents talk to their children going back to school. Um, yeah, we had kind of a lull this summer and we all got to take a deep breath, but things are starting to pick back up. What are some words of advice? Um, if you're sitting down, Dr. Tyinger, talking to your nephews and you have to give them the big ant talk, what are you gonna tell them? Oh, I did this last week. So <laughs> happy to answer. My, my message for them was, I need you guys to keep your masks on. I asked my my sister-in-law to get on Amazon and buy them some very like sturdy, like medical grade masks for their size of their face. And I was like, you know, even if people bully you, even if nobody else is wearing their mask, 
please keep your mask on. And I told them why. I told them that our hospital right now is full and that we are dealing with a summer RSV surge that we've never had before, like ever. That's a winter virus that we deal with. So we have very sick children needing oxygen already, and we are very full all the time. And we're already starting to see some kiddos kind of trickle in with COVID and and even MISC and different things like that. And so I was telling them, like, I don't want you guys to need a hospital bed. I don't want you to need oxygen. And just, you know, explaining to them how important it was. Now, I have to tell you, my younger nephew, um, his mom said, well, if ki- if other kids aren't wearing your mask and, um, and they bully you, are you going to feel bad about that? And he said, yes. And, he, you know, he did say, honestly, yeah. that he might take his mask off in that situation where he felt and it's so difficult like it's so hard for little kids and I can tell them all that they you know I can tell them I can you know try to scare them tell them everything I can about the hospital and they won't they don't understand you know right so that's why we need rules in place so that there is no bullying that there's no question right that Everyone wears a mask to school, just like you wear your trousers. <laughs> like yeah. this is what we do right now right, until right. we can get past this point. Um, but yeah, I did have one of my patients. His his father was like, "My five year old son. We live in rural Oklahoma. How is he going to be the only one wearing a mask at school? You know." Um, and you know, all I can do is is tell them what we're concerned about, like what right. we as pediatricians stay up at night thinking about and right. what we already know like schools have opened in many places across the country yeah. and outbreaks are happening and children are being hospitalized like it's a different situation than yeah. last year yeah. so I can all I can do is you know tell them what I know and really hope for the best luckily my older nephew was like I don't care I don't care if people make fun of me. I'm keeping my mask on. <laughs> right, right. You know, and I, I say often, uh, our, our, our children have enough peer pressure before COVID. And it's up to the adults to yeah. model to model what we need to happen. And so, um, Dr. Tyago, I'm going to wrap this up, but I'm going to give you one last question. You kind of okay. hinted, you hinted toward it, but I still want to ask it. Uh, what, what keeps you up at night? right now besides a (laughs) two-year-old you almost made me tearful with this Uh, one this is tough this is tough times i'm sorry that's okay Hold on, let me get myself together here. I think what's so scary for us is that things are already different and we can already even from a hospital side, like trying to convince people that what keeps me up at night is thinking about kids that might need us that we have to turn away because we don't have space. And knowing what I know about 
Arkansas children, they're full. Kansas is full. Texas is full. Like if we don't do the right thing for our kids, what, you know, what are we going to do? You know, and we, you know, we're already short, short nurses. Like, I don't know if the public knows that we have been dealing with this for so long and, you know, nurses are so hard to come by. We don't have enough respiratory therapists. And I guess what they went through, what what all of the adult towers have gone through with losing patients, like, I don't know how we could possibly survive that. It, children are not it's my thought, children are not supposed to suffer or die or anything like that. And so what keeps me up at night is the thought that any COVID illness that comes through our door could have potentially been prevented, especially in children that are um, old enough to be vaccinated or, you know, how much how much could simple mitigation that we already know works and that we already know i mean kids yes there are a few kids who have issues and can't wear masks but if if every if we put masks on everyone we can we can protect those kids too you know right you know and and it's the unknown right it's the unknown future that maybe i'm just so worried about something that won't happen at all um, but that's what keeps me up at night is the thought that we won't, we would have to turn kids away or that kids are, you know, sick or, or that we don't have an ICU bed and someone perishes because we didn't have an ICU bed available. Or if we're full with kids with COVID and RSV and someone gets in a car accident and we can't help them. Just, yeah. yeah, that's what, oh. I'm so sorry. No, I my, my heart, my heart. My heart, my heart, you hit my heart <laughs> because it's about our kids. It's about all of Oklahoma. This isn't just an education issue. This is a public health issue. And Dr. Tayangu, I can, I do not have the words to express our appreciation for what you do each and every day and um, being a champion for our kids. So thank you so much. Thank you for being on with us today. And we look forward to continuing this conversation with you. And uh, hopefully we're going to come back one day and we're going to have this humongous party. And we're going to just say, Great. we kick this in the hiney and we're done. <laughs> you know, my biggest hope is that a few months from now, people can say that doctor was all worried for no reason and we're all fine. And I and think that, that would and be the good. best news. <laughs> Well, thank you, Dr. Tyangu, and thank you for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Well, let's just take a moment and catch up with Catherine. We have a lot of upcoming events. Um, one, Save the Date, our OAEA, our student organization, formerly SOEA, is going to be having their fall conference on October the 23rd. Oklahoma Aspiring Educators yes, Association, for those of for you that. who might not be familiar. Yeah, I the minute I said the acronym, I thought... Educators hmm. love acronyms. Yes, we do. And <laughs> if we don't know one, we're going to make one up <laughs> to do it that way. Yep. And then um, go to our website, okea.org, 
And on the, on the front page, you're going to see something that says something like, Hey, let us help you pay for your OSAT test. And so for, uh, educator or for teachers, this is your subject area test. The Oklahoma, I think it is the Oklahoma subject area test. Yes. Like just, yeah. And we have received a grant, uh, from NEA. This is your dues dollars coming back to OEA and we are paying half. And Carrie, what is so cool about this, it is not you have to pay the full registration. You will get a code to put in that pays $60 towards that OSAT. Yes. And so go there. And also, even there's more. And there's more. Not only will we pay for two OSAT tests, half of the OSAT tests, Uh um, we have some online targeted sessions for uh, teachers that are needing to take those subject areas tests. So there's one for early early childhood, elementary ed, special education, and then uh, also for OGET, the general education test uh-huh. that everybody has to take. Uh-huh. We are having some online sessions for the math section cool. and the constructed response. And I love this, the, the PD part of this, because just like yeah. our students, just like everybody Absolutely. else, we have... Folks who are great test takers yeah, and folks who test taking is the worst for right. them. So I'm so right. pumped about these supports for people. Yeah. It's really awesome. And it, so we're really looking at, uh, you know, each year we're having 3,000 emergency certs that mm-hmm. have been granted. Mm-hmm. And so this will, we want to be able to reach out and help our um, teachers that are going in through the emergency cert mm-hmm. or alternative route. So mm-hmm. we want to make sure we're providing that timely PD for them. Yeah. And then last, man, we've got something big coming up in yes. a couple of weeks. Ready? So on June, June. It's not June. <laughs> but you know what? Everything's like one big day since March 2020. So whatever. I, re- <laughs> like, <laughs> I refuse to leave June. I'm <sighs> staying there. I'm just not going to leave it. June 2019. August. August. This we're, month. We are in August. August yeah. the 24th. <laughs> And then again on the 26th, we're going to have some roundtable discussions. And the title of it is Working Mom Work, Supporting Nursing Mothers at School. Yes. And so we just want to create some time and space Mm -hmm. to bring in several guests. We have Senator Hicks, who wrote Senate Bill 121. Yes, my Uh, senator, not to brag, but you're welcome, Oklahoma. And then we're going to have representatives from the, it's, is it? Janelle, Co- is it COBA? COBA, yeah. COBA, which is the Coalition of Oklahoma Breastfeeding Advocates. Yes. And then we're going to have a teacher from UConn, Amber, Amber, Amber Hoekstra. Yes. Who is amazing yes. and is a nursing mother. And it really puts a face to what's happening, real life situation that she's going through right now. Yeah, we're trying is, to work and nurse. Yeah. So those are going to be on the 24th. We're going to have one at 4.30. Then we're going to have another one at 7. Uh-huh. And then at on the 26th, we're going to have, um, it's going to be 5 o'clock. So we wanted to kind of vary the times and the days. Yeah. So you just join one of those. And um, this really, anybody that's interested in this subject, but also um, our human resource administrators yes. and our site administrators yes. is this is where it will be very powerful for them. I I was so excited about Senate Bill 121, which requires um, districts to give staff the yeah. time 
to, yeah. to pump. Yeah. And it, they said you have to make a good faith effort to give them a space that's not a bathroom. Okay. And can I just say, I had I had my second daughter when I was teaching, and I had a closet that locked, and I was the envy of the school because I had a closet, closet that locked. That locked. <laughs> like other people were like, oh, man, I wish I had that to, you know, pump in because people are just, they are like, covering the windows on their doors yeah. and having to lock themselves in their right. classroom. They were using the bathroom all the time, yeah. like, which is not, you know, nobody wants to do that in the bathroom. Exactly. And like, I am, I'm so excited. I think this is going to be so great for the whole education workforce to have the support to be able to, to continue nursing while you're at work. Absolutely. I love so it. So beneficial. And August is National Breastfeeding Month. That's right. So yes. happy National so Breastfeeding sweet. Month to our nursing moms out there who are going back to school and doing all the things. So, well, we want to say thank you so much to Dr. Donna Tayungu for her wisdom, for her time. Um, we appreciate her as always for joining us uh, today. And thank you for listening to Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Copernall Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Catherine Bishop, president of the OEA. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review Fried Okra on Apple Podcasts. You can also contact us at friedokrapodcast at gmail.com. We hope you will join us again next week. And until then, keep fighting the good fight for public education.